Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Susanna Constantine, and this is my wardrobe malfunction. Oh, it's Christmas Eve. I love Christmas Eve. I think I love it even more than Christmas Day because it's when we give our presents to each other and we always have goose because that's what the Danes do. And then Father Christmas comes in the night and delivers his presents, which we open in the morning all together in my and my husband's bed, all the kids and the dogs and the two cats and it's heaven. This actually is a bonus episode and our 67th in total. And our guest today is a seasonal sizzler with the iconic burlesque star, Dieter Von Tees. So let's grab the handles, open my wardrobe doors and find out what's inside. Hello, everybody. And um, I am absolutely wetting myself with excitement about my (laughs) guest today because she has long been um, an icon of mine. So I'm really delighted for this Christmas special to be with the eternal queen of burlesque, Dita Von Tees. How are you? Hello. I'm fine. Thank you. Genuinely, I can't believe we're speaking. I'm slightly gutted I can't see you, but there is a beautiful <laughs> photograph of you on a what looks like a sort of um, crystal telephone. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what that is. And that's actually what I'm wearing right now. So, you know, I just, it's representative of my look you this morning, bright and early. You are a liar. You are such <laughs> I a am. filthy liar. We had a little chit-chat before. She is in her pajamas and her dressing gown. But actually, you know what? I'm looking at what I'm wearing, which is a, the same color, ice blue fleece glamorous dressing gown by Catherine Delish. So okay. it is very similar, just without the rhinestones and feathers. Okay, but that, that sounds good. That sounds good. I it's expected true. you, Dieter, <laughs> to be in a kind of slinky, negligee, kind of bordered with... Belgian lace and uh but that's not the case no it is the case actually I'm underneath my fleece dressing gown so Catherine Delish makes these extravagant dressing gowns that are kind of like all you know they've become very famous on social media and they're dripping in feathers but she also does these like 1940s balloon sleeve dressing gowns to the floor in like a light like silky fleece so that's what I'm wearing and I have my silk marjolaine from Paris uh, negligee underneath in turquoise oh with with uh, bronze lace trim. So this is, it is, it is true that I'm wearing something comfortable, but still glamorous. That's the name of the game for me. <laughs> Always. And it sounds that that dressing gown does sound stunning. And isn't Catherine, is she, uh, doesn't, hasn't she worked with you for quite a long time? Yes. Yeah. She's, she and I have been partner, creative partners on all of my burlesque shows since 2000 when we met. And so she, you know, basically started making these dressing gowns, which every drag queen and burlesque star and extravagant, fun, 
uh, woman in America and all over the world has and loves to be photographed on social media with it. So it's kind of a thing. And, and her, you know, second career after burlesque is these beautiful uh, dressing gowns. As soon as I finish speaking to you, I'm going to get, get online and order one. It sounds fantastic. It's going to be a Christmas present to myself. It is. I love the fleece ones are amazing because it's just, it's like pure glamour, like sweeping glamour gown, but in fleece. It's incredible. I love How it. Perfect. And my love, are you, so you're based in LA, aren't you? I am. Yes. And does it get cold enough for that kind of garb? Oh yeah. We, well, California notoriously is cold at night and then in the morning and then suddenly it's summertime in yeah. the afternoon. So yeah, that's what we have here, which is nice. <laughs> yep. That is so nice. So, so nice. And what will you be doing for Christmas? Well, I'm meant to be hosting a few friends at my place. Um, I'm thinking about making like a very British fish pie for dinner. Uh, mm. So that's, that's what I'm doing. Just a few friends. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to make it, keep it low key because I have my New Year's Eve burlesque show at one of the big old theaters out here in, uh, in LA. And so there's a lot of work to be done, but I still love entertaining. So I'm trying to figure out how I can do both things. <laughs> Fantastic. Yes. Cause you've got the new year's show at the, um, is it the Orpheum theater on New Year's? Yes, yeah. the Orpheum. Mm -hmm. It's on Broadway. One of those beautiful, uh, movie palaces, burlesque, you know, it was a vaudeville house. Um, it's incredible. So we, I take that over every year, although we skipped a year, of course. Mm -hmm. So we're back mm -hmm. at it and I'm very excited. I've hired a, uh, an orchestra to be on stage with me this time. So I'm really kind of upping the ante with the, the extravagance of the show this year. I mean, your shows are obviously known for exquisite taste, I would say. They're very, very classy. They, they're over the top, but not gaudy. And I mean, how do you come up with ideas? How do you sort of keep evolving the show? Oh, gosh. I mean, I have, between Catherine and I, we have no, no limits to the ideas we have. It's usually just the limit on finances, you know, and, yeah. and how many projects I can do and what makes financial sense because, you know, it is extravagant. You know, some of the costumes take months to make and require a truckload of Swarovski crystals. We, we love doing things in an extravagant way. It's, the, it's what's always driven us is to push the envelope. And she certainly has with regard to costuming, you know, she's influenced so many people, you know, in the things that she's been doing for the last 25 years. So um, she's created incredible innovations. And she's always like, listen, I don't care if everybody's copied what I do and is taking credit for it. I'm on to the next thing. You know, it's not, she doesn't sit, we don't sit around thinking, oh, everyone copied what we did. It's like, oh, we have an endless, we do, we have <laughs> so many things we want to do beyond what we've done. So, but I love like, you know, for me, I like burlesque that's playful and fun and sometimes a bit kitschy. Like for instance, I was in this year, um, I just got back from Paris. I was doing Dancing with the Stars and all I could think about was, oh, this is going to be like ballroom dance striptease. Duh. Yeah. Like, you know, that's what I'm doing now. It's like, I'm going to do this whole act, but I'm going to use striptease. And then one year I was learning a few magic 
tricks and illusions, and I thought, well, striptease and magic, it makes sense. You know, I, and, and this is, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, but I feel like I have been, I always want to bring together something like that and turn it into a striptease. And that's kind of what I've always been doing is like taking inspiration from other worlds. And originally for me, it was 1940s movies and how do I turn, you know, a 1940s technicolor musical scene into a striptease. So I don't know, for me, it's, it's fun and I love challenging burlesque and, and evolving it. That's the only way to make it continue on, and that's why it is popular still, is that it's a huge evolution since what it was in the 40s when it was entertainment for heterosexual men. You know, it's, it's gone so yeah. far beyond that, which I'm very grateful for that, you know, that I have a different kind of... Um, I have a different audience, a very different audience than I would have in the 40s. Mm. But I love the idea of... Um, what you say about um, using striptease as the found and burlesque as the foundation, and then marrying it up with something like magic—it's—it's. It's, mm -hmm. I mean that you know, in, in saying that, it's clearly a limitless partnership with whatever you want. You know, from ice truckers mm -hmm. yeah. to God knows what. I mean, you could go like completely mad. Yeah. I guess you've. It's like I took all my ballet training, and I was like, I'm going to do. I was a failed ballet dancer, so I'm going to turn a ballet scene into a striptease. It's just like that's – there's so many funny things to do like that that make it, you know, not just a striptease and not about like, you know, always about sensuality, but turning it into something kind of funny, you know, and yeah. that's, you know, that's what does it for me. <laughs> and And how do you bring humor into it? I mean, it's not hard. It's like I think about things like – I mean, listen, bathing in a giant champagne glass, it's kind of funny, you know, that's one of the first acts that we did was like, let's do, Catherine and I did a dueling striptease with the swing and hip martini against the classic elegant champagne. And we kind of did this thing with the two personalities. And, you know, that's kind of where it started and with us together. And, um, you know, we just think of like, what, what would be you know, a little bit clever. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, we don't want to go too far over people's heads, if you know what I mean. It is still mm -hmm. burlesque. It's, and to, and the word burlesque itself, it was, it means to make fun of. So, you know, I'm always kind of making fun of myself and cliches and, you know, like uh, things that are, um, I don't know, for me, it's just, I, I always just think of like funny things. Like what if I, what if I ride a giant bucking and spinning lipstick you know so I bought a mechanical bull and I took the mechanical bull parts off and created a giant lipstick and I rode the lipstick you know to me it's amusing and it, it counterbalances the eroticism you know I made it like a fetish thing themed thing mm -hmm. but it makes it funny and amusing I just I never want to do anything that's too serious it just doesn't it doesn't it's not it's not what I set out to do. I set out to change people's minds about burlesque and striptease and use that humor and playful side. Because if you get down to it, you know, that's kind of one of the sexiest things is our sense of humor and the mm -hmm. way we feel comfortable around others and let loose. You know, it's not really about like, look how sexy I am. It's like, that's not what it has ever been for me. Because mm -hmm. I, I, I read the... Um when you, I mean, your real name is Heather Sweet and you were born mm -hmm. in, um, in Michigan. And I read how incredibly shy you used to be. And 
you're so right in saying that confidence, I believe too, that confidence is a very sexy thing. But how did you overcome your shyness to end up where you are today? I mean, I think it's just little by little and controlling the circumstances I could. I mean, when I was, you know, 18 and 19 and first started, you know, hanging out with club kids and drag queens and playing with my look, that kind of counter acted my shyness and I surrounded myself with other people that made me, you know, felt made me feel uplifted and I could be creative with. And I, that's where I started gaining my power. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just, I think like little by little, like there's been so many moments in my career where I felt like I had to challenge my shyness and I always felt like performing was part of that. Um, and, you know, yeah, so it's just like little by little, like there was moments where I worked, you know, with the Mac AIDS Fund and I suddenly had to give speeches all over the world. And I was terrified of public speaking, but I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to teach myself how to do this. And I'm going to show myself that if you fail or stumble, it actually makes people like you better anyway. So I would do that. Like I would give these speeches in front of hundreds of people and I'd be terrified and I'd, you know, kind of look at it like here's a moment to overcome or to, you know, embrace where you stumble and people love it. You know, I would do something like, listen, you guys, every time I make a mis fumble this speech, <laughs> I'm going to take something off. <laughs> and so I would like drop a strap and people would laugh and they'd love it. And they'd say, that's such a charming way to like, you know, and I never really took anything off, but I would take like my glove off and say, now I feel more comfortable. So I would think of ways to, and, and people would like it so much better than me going up there and giving like a better, a perfect speech, you know? So uh, always kind of like challenging, doing things that make me feel a little uncomfortable, but vulnerability is a big strength in, in, in show business too, especially. Yes, you know? so. yes I think it's, mm -hmm. well, it shows humility and um, I think as as much as anything, and it, and it's uh, which I yeah. hate this word, but authentic. It's so overused, but it is. It's it's yeah. you. But I, I mean, I cannot tell you how much I love the idea of taking something off every time you stumble. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was like I'd say that and I'd take off an earring or something. It's not like I did a striptease to try to give this impor yeah. important speech about the work the AIDS Fund was doing. It was just more like, oh, an earring. And people would go, oh, yeah, an earring. Okay. You know, so just thinking of things like that. Yeah. <laughs> and my lovely, um, well, you're one of three sisters. Is that right? Right. Yes. And you describe yourself, which I really... I want to ask you, have you looked at yourself in the mirror ever? Because you describe yourself as the plain middle sister <laughs> of three. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, it's just the reality of it, honestly. And I and people always say, but no, you're, you know, but listen, I, I go out on every Halloween, not every Halloween, but when I'm up for it, um, I love to take off the red lipstick and the red nail polish, wear my hair. I usually get like a really good blondish, brownish, some kind of wig, straight hair. And I put on jeans and a t-shirt and I just like lose all of my privileges. <laughs> you know, I lose like <laughs> people aren't interested in talking to me anymore. And I kind of blend. And, you know, that's, that's what I'm, when I'm saying that it's like, okay, I'm not like saying like, 
you know, I just don't, I, I found myself through glamour and my confidence and yeah. like found a way to make my own mark on the world. And, and that's what I did by, you know, looking to the past and wearing red lipstick and doing, you know, essentially what makes me feel confident. You know, when I do that Halloween thing that I do with the, the uh, normal girl costume, um, I do it because it's a funny thing where it's, you know, it's, it's a psychological moment where I realize why I do what I do and why I'm not going to let anyone tell me that, you know, my cat eye or my red lipstick ages me. Like, cause people say things like that all the time. Like, oh my God, you look so much younger without all of your makeup on. But why are we always holding such importance on looking younger? Like I yeah. don't, I always just liked feeling like a woman. I like feeling I like glamour. I like um, a sense of whimsicality in my my appearance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't really care if I just look younger. So I don't know. It's kind of just something that all goes back to confidence and where I find my confidence is in that. And, you know, certainly I've done photo shoots where I've been stripped down and told not, you know, not worn makeup. You know, I was I've been photographed like by major photographers that said, can we do one with beige lipstick? And I was like, I, I guess so. <laughs> but, you know, I always kind of negotiate, can we do something that's me at the end? Because I'm being photographed by one of the world's greatest photographers. Like, can I have a moment? Can we negotiate? But, you know, it's just really... I don't know. That's what I preach really is like, yeah. I call myself a glamour evangelist because for me, it's helped me find myself. And for a lot of other women that have been given permission as well to like indulge in beauty and glamour and eroticism, even in their own sensuality. I feel like when I was growing up, I didn't really have many examples of that, which is why I looked to the past. Um, and it's not for everyone. It's just that's how it makes me feel, you know, and, and a lot of my fans, too. So would you say, um, Dita, that it, it's, it, yes, it evolved, but is it, it's, it sounds from what you're saying is that the, the Dita Fontese that, that we know and the public know is more you, much more you every day when you're sleeping, when you're eating than, than the girl with the wig and uh, jeans. Right. It just, for me, I found what I always say to people is when it comes to confidence, you know, it, it wavers. It's like the weather. Sometimes I feel really good and sometimes I don't. And I try to notice what are the things that help me find my confidence, you know, and I try to control those circumstances as much as possible. And, you know, that, that could be, that's different for everyone. What those things are, are different for everyone. So I think that's really what I'm always trying to get across and trying to keep in mind for myself as well. Because mm -hmm. I feel, I don't know how you feel about this, but I, I really do feel, when I look at fashion now, I mean, I have a, you know, a very, um, how shall I say it? I'm not big, but I'm bountiful. So I've got big boobs. I've got quite a small waist. Mm -hmm. But I find clothes now in fashion is just so androgynous. And I find it so hard to find things to wear that make me, mm -hmm. that don't make me look like sort of matronly or like a dowager duchess. Right. And the answer is probably corsets, you know, to really accent, if you've got a kind of curvaceous figure, is to accentuate, but to accentuate it. But at my age, you know, I'm 10 years older than you. 
I just feel like I'm past it to do something like that. And I'm going to end up looking like a pantomime dame. Yeah. But listen, I'm not wearing a corset in real life. Like that's my stage. That's for photos and stage. Like I'm not sitting here cinching up. No, I'm not doing that. You know, I just, that's not how it is for me. I love finding ways of looking the way that I like to look without it being too high maintenance. You know, I'm not as high maintenance as it seems. I color my own hair. Mm -hmm. I do. I'm a very do it yourself girl. That's what I wrote a book about is like glamour, do it yourself. Um, I, on a normal day, like today, for instance, I'm doing two podcasts. I'm going to my dance rehearsal. I have a fitting with a lingerie model. Um, I'll put on my red lipstick and I'll put my hair in a chignon and that's what I do. And I'll have, you know, my rehearsal clothes with a skirt over it. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I think sometimes people just can't see, like it takes just as long for me to put on a red lipstick as it does for someone else to do their day-to-day face. I'm not, I think that people just think that I'm spending the whole day in front of the mirror getting glamorous, but that's not it at all. Like my whole, I guess it's hard to imagine if you don't know me very well or know that well what I do, but I don't have time for that. I'm running like you know, a bunch of business, I'm doing business and I wake up and I'm ready to go, but I have my system the same way. I think anyone else has their quick thing that they do, but I won't sacrifice. You know, I say, I'm going to put on my red lipstick because that makes me feel good. And I have my, you know, I, I've, I, I have my lashes on because I, you know, there's this great company called Lashify that I, that I discovered during the pandemic where I can be my own lash technician and have lash extensions that I can wear for three or four days at a time. So I'm like, I love the shortcut. So I go, okay, I, I, I got my lashes and my red lips on and a little bit of concealer and I'm good to go. You know, so this is, I love to find fast ways of doing it, but I don't want to compromise because I want to keep my confidence. I want to feel good when I leave and I want to feel like I have my little pop of color in my red or fuchsia lipstick. It's just what I love in, in life and have since I was a teenager. Of course, yeah. I mean, I, I feel weirdly exactly the same way about cooking because I will produce, I, I love to cook. Well, most of the time I love to cook, but mm-hmm. I'll, I've worked out that I'll, produce something which tastes looks and tastes amazing but i've done it so quickly and be being able to multitask doing other things at the same time and i i guess mm-hmm. it's the, the same thing it's just finding a way that works for you and and it all, almost sort of becomes uh automatic in what you're doing you know yeah. it's what yeah. you feel comfortable in and and how you go out and i'm the same way with cooking like my simple recipes like it's kind of it is beauty and cooking or your look you know you have a uniform but you've found a way you've thought out a way to make something delicious without it being too fussy and i i'm the same way i'm always looking for those five ingredient fabulous recipes things that are really simple yeah um but that's what i do with glamour too is like okay these are my ways that I get to it quickly because it's important to me yeah so um your family moved to California when you uh where you attended high school and was this when you went to work in a lingerie store and your interest in lingerie was truly born yes um I think you know I don't know why really but when I was really like younger and living in Michigan I used to always sneak into my mother's lingerie drawer Mm-hmm. I was so fascinated by what was in there and why is she wearing this stuff and I'm not wearing this stuff. And, um, you know, I was kind of, I was just always fascinated with this kind of 
rite of passage and when it was going to be my turn. And so anyway, of course, I had those those kinds of rites of passage when I was, you know, 15, 14 or whatever. And my mom worked in beauty. She was a manicurist. And just next door to where she worked, there was a lingerie shop. And I used to go in there all the time. And I kept asking if I could work there, you know, like taking out the trash or putting tags on things. And finally, the woman that owned it let me do that, like check in boxes of lingerie and put the tags on. And then eventually I got to work as a sales girl. And that was when I was like 15. And I worked in lingerie, whether it was in this little store or in a department store, till I was maybe 22. Uh, and that's really what sparked my entire career as a pinup girl. I basically thought like, well, maybe I should be photographed in my lingerie, but I want to do it like a 1950s pinup girl. So that was kind of what sparked my career for doing that. And um, I just always had this fascination with lingerie. And it's really, you know, <laughs> why I do what I do. Because then it was suddenly like, okay, what if I do a burlesque show? It's, again, about wearing corsets and stockings and, you know, gloves and all these kind of being totally dressed. But performing that way. So then, you know, and this is in the early 90s when I decided to do these things and nobody was doing burlesque at the time. There were very few people performing burlesque. And so um, that was, you know, I was like, I'm going to do this thing that Gypsy Rosalie did. I'm going to do this thing that Betty Page did. And I'm going to be the first one to be a pinup girl all the time. And that's what I did. And was that like a light bulb moment for you or did it kind of creep up? Was it like, I know exactly what I'm going to do now? Yeah, it kind of creeped up. In fact, you know, I was working in the L.A. underground rave scene and I was always dressing in vintage and, and, and making little like sequined bustiers and things like that. And I, I, I guess it was sort of little by little. I mean, when I was I, I started working in a strip club, mm -hmm. um, moonlighting from my lingerie job and I, you know, another way to show off my lingerie, it was kind of like a bikini club, you know, where okay. girls were all wearing bikinis, but I was wearing like corsets and lingerie and I thought it was so much fun to do this and I wasn't even showing anything really. So, and then that's sort of like, I was doing this striptease thing, but I didn't, and then I kind of connected that to burlesque, you know, if that makes sense. It was sort of like I was doing the, the striptease thing and then I went, wait, oh, it was called burlesque in the 1940s. So, oh, I should get myself a pair of feather fans. Where can I get that? So it was a little bit little by little. And I, I um, yeah, it was, it was kind of like I was doing it before I put a name to it. And I don't think I ever really took it seriously until, you know, the, the late 90s when I was, you know, I was very well-known fetish model. I was the modern Betty Page. I was being flown all over the world to London to pose for fetish magazines and companies in Germany. And, you know, so I was kind of like the most, I was the modern Betty Page in the early 90s. And I was, you know, doing burlesque shows in back then too, to kind of like promote what I was doing as a model. So it kind of started there and it evolved and got bigger and bigger till suddenly I was like, oh, wow, I've got a book deal with HarperCollins. I've got, I'm performing at the Cartier event. I'm performing for Louis Vuitton in the Grand Palais in Paris and the Crazy Horse. And I, it, it was just, I kept doing it though. It was sort of, I never, it took me a long time to come to terms with it being a real career. Gosh, but do you, I mean, I must have, you know, I'm going back to the, um, 
the shy girl, but because your confidence was given time to grow mm -hmm. and you didn't, you know, it For just, sure. it seems like you didn't push yourself completely. You just let it happen. And do you think that's the secret to longevity is because you, rather than, you know, so many um, people in the public now, they, they gain their fame overnight and then they crash and burn. Yeah. Do you feel that those who do have the longevity are the people who have taken a long time to learn their craft or get used to it or... Do you think that's the case? I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, somebody asked me the other day, they said, what are your big goals that you have? And I said, you know, I don't know. I've never actually dared have lofty goals. I was sort of, my reward was always in what I was doing at the present. And I was trying to do it with integrity and joy, you know, whether it was, you know, listen, I was touring strip clubs across the U.S. in the 90s. And I thought that my I thought that was the height of my career was like having a billboard near a truck stop in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Yeah. You know, it's like I thought that was the, that was the thing. You know, mm. I had a page in the newspaper. You know, I, that was my the pinnacle of my career. And I had gratitude for it. Yeah. I think the problem is a lot of people, they just see, especially with burlesque, because also I was doing burlesque at a time where there was no modern burlesque stars, you know? So I didn't have anyone to look at except for Gypsy Rose Lee. And that hadn't happened in 75 years. So I couldn't see that I could be famous for it. I think part of the problem is now is like people see the fame or the end result and they go, I want to get there. And they don't think about the doing or whether they love what they're doing. They just are like, I think I should do that because that will bring me accolades or money or fame and people will like me. And they don't really think about, you know, I did something that was not like very cool at first. You know, it was not, it was like, oh, she's a stripper. Oh, she's a stripper. And I was so like, yeah, I'm a stripper. It's super fun. I'm loving this, you know. Fan dancing at a truck stop was fun, um, <laughs> but I was like loving what I was doing, you know? Did you do that? I did. Yes, I did. It was like, you know, there's, I was doing a strip, I was doing a strip club circuit all over America and, you know, I was like headlining. I was like the headlining star because I was in Playboy. Stop. Yeah. But like it was a truck stop with you. a big night, you know, a big strip club in it. And I was like, this is great. I'm the star stripper at the truck stop. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
It was, oh, I got some great vintage clothes. It would think it was in Pittsburgh. And so during the day I'd go, this is when I amassed a crazy vintage clothing collection was I would, you know, be in places like Pittsburgh. And then I'd go to all the vintage and antique stores and snap up all those forties dresses and jewelry. Amazing. So I loved it. I was having so much fun, but you know, I didn't have someone to look at and be like, oh, I should really be doing what she's doing. Mm. I was just doing my thing. And it was a, I think to me, that was one of my strengths was that I wasn't like looking at somebody else's career, modeling it after them. I mean, maybe I was looking at Gypsy Rose Lee's career thinking, okay, well maybe I can be like that and I can do pinups and I can do shows and tour, you know, cause Gypsy Rose Lee also, you know, yes, she was dressed in Charles James, but, and had the Rockefeller apartment in, in New York and was live, you know, she was a great businesswoman, but she also would go on the carnival club circuit, which was not glamorous at all. Okay, like the reality of her burlesque career was she would go do that for like, you know, a a couple months and make a ton of money because she didn't spend money on lavish costumes or props or anything like that, really. Make a ton of money and then invest it and go buy her, you know, apartments and houses in Beverly Hills. Like she was so smart, so much smarter than me (laughs) when it came to money. You know, well, listen, I love costumes. I love feathers and rhinestones, but she wasn't that. She was like very, uh, you know, she went and did the carnival club circuit was rough. Yeah. There was burlesque and vaudeville, but like, you know, she was smart. She made her way and did all these like crazy, you know, doing a burlesque show in a tent. Yeah, that must have taken huge strength as a woman at that time. Yeah, a single woman with a little boy, too. (laughs) I remember my dad actually loved Gypsy Rose Lee so much. He he used to call my mum Gypsy Rose. Her real name was Mary Rose, but he used to call her Gypsy Rose, kind Aww. of wishful thinking, I think. Mm-hmm. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, he was obsessed by her. But um, so was your family quite um, sort of straight-laced or I guess it sounds not. It sounds like your mum was very kind of open to beauty and lingerie and everything else. I mean, what what did they think when you they start you started your career from a shy girl to a stripper? Well, listen, I kind of got caught in the, you know, my my parents were getting a divorce and, you know, having affairs with their, you know, significant others who are still their significant others now. But, like, I kind of got caught in the nobody cared what I was doing. (laughs) You know, I was always independent. I was working. I had my own credit cards by the time I was 16. Um, And I feel like I was super independent. And so every once in a while they'd turn to me and be, you know, I was living on my own by the time I was 20. Um, And, and even when I was a teenager, it was like, they didn't even have time for me. You know, I didn't have support, but they also, you know, when they turned to me and be like, what are you doing? I'd be like, oh, just you mind your own business. I'm 18 years old. Okay. <laughs> you know, I was very like, what are you doing? Did you put me to, co- to through college? No, nobody ever even talked about college in my family. Yeah. Um, so I was always independent. I, like I said, I was working from when I was 14 years old because I liked, I realized early on that independence was, you know, financial independence was kind of the key, <laughs> you know? Freedom. Yeah, freedom. And so, you know, in the in the 90s when I was, you know, in my early 20s and deciding I was going to be this bondage model answer to Betty Page, yeah, my family sometimes looked at me like, what are you doing? We're really worried about you. And I was just like, listen, I'm fine. And then, of course, when I became famous for it, when I was on the cover of Playboy, when it was a big 
thing that was kind of a turning point for me was I was on the cover of Playboy. I was, you know, performing for, you know, Marc Jacobs and Louis Vuitton and all these people. That was like a moment where they finally went, oh, we get it now. So I, I didn't have a lot of support, of course. Okay, like, I don't yeah. want anyone to think I had like all this amazing support from my family when I was doing these bondage pictures in the early 90s. It was more mm. of like a, what are you going to tell me to do? Uh, why And why are you able to tell me that I'm not, I'm doing something wrong? You know, so <laughs> that's, that's a little bit who I am, you know, <laughs> it's just like. You know, I think it's, I think it's very interesting that because I think, Women who were kind of born in sort of 60s, 70s, it's like there was no expectation on our shoulders. It's like, you know, I know for one, my parents, they they expected me to amount to nothing. It was like, darling, don't worry. You're, mm, you know, right. you're, you're just go and find a, a you know, a, a good husband. Yeah. Um, Same thing And that here. was it. <laughs> I was discouraged yeah. from going to university. My father said to me, oh, darling, you really don't need to go to university. I was like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. And I look back now and I think, right. and I compare that to my, you know, my own children and how, Thank, thankfully, how much drive they have and, you know, sort of um, academic drive as well as personal drive. I didn't even have my own opinion at, the, at their age. Right. Because I wasn't encouraged to do that. So I think for anyone, and especially for you, to have gone out and done what you've done where no one could mould you because there was no mould to fit in apart from Gypsy Rose Lee, really, is... That actually, for me, is the most astonishing thing. I mean, it's it's amazing, Dita. Thank you. I mean, it's just a little happy accident. And sometimes people ask me, you know, like, how did you do it? I'm like, I don't know. It was just sort of like I did it because I liked it. And I didn't listen to what other people told me about what I should be doing, you know. Like I had people that told me if I wanted to be a model, I should go back to my natural blonde hair and I should get a little bit of a tan and all these things. And I just thought, why do I want to be doing what everyone else is doing? And I still feel that way even about burlesque. It's like mm. people all want to be a – there's people that want to be a burlesque star, but they can only see what I'm doing or what every, these other people are doing. And it's like the key is – to do something different and change people's minds about what that is. And are you going to be the person to, to flip the script? You know, that's the thing. But sometimes people don't see beyond what they, the, the success of others, I mm-hmm. think. And what goes behind it? Because I imagine you must do a huge amount of um, research into the costume and the way things were made and how they can be adapted. I have to say another key of what I did and Catherine did was, you know, we didn't have any, you know, people just now they do their research on the internet, you know, Google images, Google, you know, YouTube videos, like I'm going to dance like this. We had to make it up for ourselves. You know, I hate being that person that says like in my day, but like really in our day, we were looking at and reading burlesque books or looking, hunting down little moments in like vintage, you know, classic films and taking inspiration from that, but like, or just deciding what we thought burlesque might look like. And then actually, once I saw real burlesque footage, I was like, oh, I didn't know it was like that. Well, I'm glad I didn't see that because actually I like what I'm doing better, you know, like, because it was really this like bump and grind kind of like thing. And, you know, by the time I saw it, I was like, I'm glad I used my 
ballet training to kind of do a strip tease instead of the classic bump and grind. I mean, and I'm not knocking it. It just wasn't for me. And it's part of what made me find my own way instead of mimicking what I saw. Well, I mean, what you've created is something which is quite ironic in a way. Yes, you're doing a strip tease, but the clothing... Uh, plays such a huge role. It's an essential part of burlesque. Yes. It's not the no clothes, it's the clothes. Yeah, it's like, I, I mean, I wear a lot of clothes. <laughs> and when people say like, well, why do you even need clothes? Well, where are you going to start? It's not interesting, like just be coming out on stage with no clothes on. That's not a striptease. So that's where the costumes become so extravagant. I mean, there's like, you know, 15, 20 pieces of each costume. And when every piece comes off, it becomes a new, it's a new look, you know, it's a different style. It's a new, like, that's what we do is make this, how do we, how do we wear as much as possible? So there's, as there's a ways to go that becomes like a, you know, it's a, I don't, I hate that I'm going to say this word. It's like a onstage journey, you know, like you get to see, you know, it's like an evolution of the costume. I know I hate using that word. <laughs> an authentic striptease journey. I know it's funny. I want to roll my own eyes if I, when I hear myself talk like that, oh because, you know, but I can see that it's almost those costumes. It's almost engineering what you're doing. It's major engineering and it's like the biggest extravagance I have because it's like to make, I also, I'm not interested in doing it the easy way. I love doing it the hard way. I love the challenges that come with a new costume and pushing the envelope and thinking, okay, how do we make this as hard as, as, as seemingly impossible to get off as, as I can, you know, like, cause I kept thinking about magicians and, you know, magicians do all these things. Like, how do we make it complicated so that nobody else can do it? First of all, it becomes this trade secret. And so I would do things like that. Like, okay, I'm going to have this corset that laces from the top of my back and there's no way out except for to unlace that behind my back all the way down to the butt. And I'm not going to put a closure in the front so I can figure out how to get. So I love thinking, thinking of things like that like that are make it more difficult and like I, yeah, I've gotten stuck and there's somebody standing by with scissors <laughs> on the side but like eventually the impossible becomes totally possible and that's what I love and you know that that something becomes you know you can learn how to do it with enough practice and I know it sounds stupid to even talk about like striptease as something that's a, a Houdini trick but you know what it is. I so get it. <laughs> What's the most elaborate costume you've worn or maybe it hasn't appeared yet? Hey, I'm waiting on two costumes right now. Jenny Packham is making a costume for my New Year's Eve uh, show. Jenny Packham's like a really amazing British designer. And, uh, you know, it's gonna, that's going to arrive, you know, the 27th and I'll have that week to work it out before the show. But it's a costume that go, it goes through ballroom dance cliches from a foxtrot quick step ballroom dance gown. And then that trans, transforms into a tango dress and then finally into a cha-cha short dress so Gosh. it's kind of like a transition costume so I'm really excited about that but you know I'll I'll get it and I'll spend a lot of time with it and um but you know listen it's fun it's what what you know flicks my switch it's really like fun to do that and to think about like in a new idea and a new concept and a new costume and working in collaboration with designers that I love basically and, you are a walking performing Rubik's Cube is what you are ba yeah basically <laughs> something like that <laughs> 
Sometimes I'm a walking walking chandelier. We have a, a, some of the costumes Catherine has made has these gigantic Swarovski crystals. Actually, I'm looking at a big tray of huge crystals that are, you know, the size of my palm. And uh, we love we love that though. It's so fun, so much fun to make it look easy, like make the gown look like it's slithering across the floor, but it's actually like you know 23 kilos of Swarovski crystal. And then when people see it in person, they say, how did you just do that? We did it because it was fun. <laughs> and when it made you think that it was a weightless, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I, we, lo- we love that. We love when people say, why was that costume electrified? Was it plugged in? We're trying to understand <laughs> what it was doing. No, it's just, it's like a special effect stone from Swarovski with extra facets and it looks dazzling. It looks electrified. So we, I love that. <laughs> I love that part of it. And, you know, while I was th- thinking about this, I thought, you know, I we just never, Catherine and I, when we're making a show or a costume, we never think about what would the people want? We think about what does it for us. And, yeah. you know, because, and I think it's the same, it goes back to what we were saying about when you wear what you like, it's like that radiates to the world and then they will understand, you know? So if you feel it, the world will feel it. Or if they don't, fuck them, yeah. you know. <laughs> but, but you know, I just feel like it's so important. It's not about what other people think or indulging in what other people tell you to do. It's like whether you're getting dressed to go to your job or putting your makeup on to go to your job, it's like it should be about what you feel because that comes across to people. And the most important thing is, you know, what radiates to the world and what you put out there that you believe in. And you, you've never had a stylist, have you? Or you? And you always do your own makeup, which... Is fabulous too. Not always. I mean, I don't sometimes, and actually I've learned to delegate because, you know, I, I listen, I have, and I find myself a lot of times in the last year, especially, um, I'll do, I'll, you know, I'll produce my lingerie shoots for my lingerie brand. They're based in Australia, but, you know, I'll organize everything. And I'd even say like, okay, to keep our team small so we can shoot in this fabulous place that my friend has, I'll do my the hair, makeup, styling, blah, blah, blah. And I'll do it all. <laughs> and then now I've gotten to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm exhausting myself and I need to actually, you know, so what I'll do is sometimes I'll have, I'll do my makeup while somebody does my hair or I'll, you know, or the other way around, I'll do my hair and let somebody else do the makeup. I'll bring in a stylist that I'll say, okay, can you pull all the, you know, jewelry from my closet and style the shoot for me and dress the other girls? It's just, yeah, it becomes a little bit too much. Like it is great to do it yourself. And like I always say, I, I do it myself so I can appreciate the value sometimes in other people doing it. But I still love being grounded in what I originally set out to do is prove to people you can do it as well and enable people to say, okay, and girls who want to do or anyone who wants to do a photo shoot pinup style, it's like, you can do it. (laughs) You can totally do it. You know, and we're seeing it everywhere. People do their own hair, makeup, styling, make their own costumes, um, and even take their own picture it's like you, you can, can do it all yeah do it and but you know there comes a point where you have you know where I say to myself okay I did all of that now today someone's got to do my hair for me because I need to answer these 45 messages that are on my phone this morning too at the same time so delegating Practical decision more than anything else yeah mm-hmm. which I understand yeah, but when I'm on tour, it's like I'm doing my own hair and makeup because I like the ritual of painting. I feel like I still, for the most part, 
I like how I do my makeup. I feel like me. It's nice when other people do my makeup. Sometimes, sometimes it's better than what I do and sometimes it's not. So, uh, I also only work with a few people that I know will then that can do what I like in a short amount of time. Cause I've sat in the hair and makeup chair for hours before and turned around and been like, now I've got to go fix this. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, how important are shoes to you, Dita? Yes, I love shoes. Uh, however, you know, people, you know, I have a kind of infamous shoe closet because I'm, Christian Louboutin is one of my closest friends. And people walk in, they go, how many shoes do you have? And I say, I don't know. Um, I don't count my <laughs> shoes. I don't really care. I don't really care about how much I have. I'm not going shoe shopping. I'm just, you know, I... I have a good friend who makes incredible shoes. So, uh, yeah, they're important, but I'm also understanding the value of having shoes that fit well. I never knew that when I was younger, I was sort of like, Oh, that's fine. They, they look great. I'm going to wear these shoes that are a half size too small. I've learned not to do that. Um, I don't always wear high heels. I wear flats a lot. I've been Mm -hmm. living in some classic loafers the last uh, few months while I was doing dancing with the stars and trying to, save my feet. Were you actually dancing yourself? Were you a competitor? I should know this. I'm sorry. I don't. Yeah, I was a competitor. I was. Yeah, it was. It was. You must have won. You did. It must have won. No, because, you know, that's not how the world works anymore. Okay. <laughs> In yeah. Fact, no, that's true. Yeah. That, you know, I was always, I always got the top three scores every week, but listen, they did, they would do, it was in France and they finally, they were trying to, you know, put, they put the, they put the like social media votes and the text message votes because yes. that's a huge business. Like, okay, the YouTube star is going with 3 million followers only in France and you have to use a French phone so they can get that 99, Euro, 99 cents a minute or that one euro a minute f- mm-hmm. for, per text. You know, I, I, I thought that I was going in there to win because I, I was loving it and I was mm-hmm. working really hard and I always got like the top scores. But listen, it's, it doesn't work like that anymore. No, it's you, so you know, true. So I went home. I know from experience as well that I did um, strictly here. Trust me, I deserve to go out first. Uh-huh. I look like sort of Ava Perron's corpse after she'd been embalmed. <laughs> I was completely rigid throughout the whole thing. Oh, oh my God, it's such it's hard It's such work. hard work, but it's so f- I had so much fun though. I had so much fun. I was there for, I was there for three months and I had COVID at the beginning of the competition. So I only had five days to get ready where everyone else had two weeks. And I had like, you know, I kept having these little victories and it turned me into a like fierce competitor because I didn't think I could do well because I always told myself I couldn't learn choreography. I had all all these stories about like, you know, my whole life I've been ducking out of my ballet classes when it gets too hard. And so I, I was afraid. And then suddenly I started having all these victories there on that show. And I was surprising myself at my ability. And I was really, oh my, I was excited. So then I was also deflated when I realized that they were, you know, going to manipulate everything they could, you know, like to try to get me, send me home. Yep. Because I was, I was kind of a nightmare for them. You were too Because I kept, you know, I had a, no, I was, I was very like, like about COVID protocols and such. Because I was, <laughs> I was, I was like, why are there so many people backstage with no masks on and smoking cigarettes and drinking, and I have to get COVID tested three times? You know, I was really like giving them a hard time. 
good girl. I'm pleased <laughs> to hear that. So, Dieter, with all this traveling, is there something that you have that you would consider to be a comfort blanket? I think for me, it's like I love to have a beautiful coat because I can be wearing just about anything underneath it. Mm -hmm. Like I'll get on a plane. I'll I'll see people and they'll say, you know, I saw you once on a plane and you looked so glamorous. And I thought, well, it's because I'm wearing a fabulous coat with like a nightgown underneath or like a t-shirt underneath, something really comfortable. But the coat really glams it up and makes it look polished. So I'd always say a coat, a, a great coat is my my comfort blanket because I can throw it on for anything, you know, to just like, oh, I want to go out and get a coffee real quick and I could put a coat on and sunglasses and it's like, I look like I really did something there. Fantastic. Now, have you, you must have had a wardrobe malfunction, Dieter. Oh God. Well, I was thinking on Dancing with the Stars, you know, I fought with the the wardrobe, not the wardrobe people, but the production all the time. Just like, this is, we were talking about that. Like, for instance, before I left to go to Paris, I said, listen, I'm not going, I know that everyone knows me for striptease, but I'm not wearing any like mini dress things or having my, my ass out. Mm -hmm. Like I have a lot of rules about what I wear when I'm performing and this is not my show. This is your show. I can only control so much. And they were like, yeah, yeah, don't worry. And the fight ensued where they kept putting things in my dressing room that were not okay from, that I was not comfortable wearing. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, very interesting. Very interesting process. But have you ever had a, like a costume that's let you down? You know, something which you haven't been able to get out of or, I mean, you mentioned the scissors earlier being snipped out of something. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I've definitely had many. In fact, when I was at the Crazy Horse, when I did create one of the most difficult costumes for me to get out of, I kept a scorecard between me and the corset every night. <laughs> And it's, I, I actually made like, I actually got one of those giant pairs of scissors they use for ribbon cuttings. And I had a, <laughs> had it engraved with like striptease, in case of striptease emergency, use these. Uh, but, you know, so I made light of it, mm. you know, but there's always been things like that. And really, it's about what you do with it, you know. How, I've seen people, I've seen other burlesque performers who will remain nameless, <laughs> but I've seen people get angry and storm off the stage because they couldn't get their outfit off. And, you know, mm. I, it's all about show business and live performance is all about how you handle things. And people will either like you if you make a mistake. Same thing as what I was saying about the speeches. They they watch how you deal with it. It's all about how you, yeah. you know, what is it that quote about like life is what happens to you, but more importantly, how you respond to it. Same thing with wardrobe malfunction. You know, it's like I've had lots of them. I was thinking about when I went to was going to dinner with a, a guy friend of mine and leaving the house. And as soon as I was walking down the stairs, my vintage dress split right down the middle, right down the middle. I mean, full ass out. And we had a great laugh though. And I went inside and changed, but I was like, thank goodness that happened before I got to the the restaurant, you know, but like, and I've had, you know, as someone who loves vintage, you know, vintage is a big upkeep and you will rip out seams and you will break the heels off of shoes and all kinds of wardrobe malfunctions happen just with vintage clothes wearing in general, mm -hmm. but I still love it. And also, you know, I don't know, it's not what I, I can't really imagine myself running home and being like, oh my God, I can't believe my dress split up the ass. I'd sort of probably make a, I'd find a coat to put on or something or a, something to tie around my waist. I don't know. And make a joke of it. Like everybody's already seen my, yeah. you know, 
butt crack anyway. So here it is. I mean, that's what I love about clothes is that every item, and certainly for me, all I have a whole kind of cellar filled with sort of clothes from when I was working in television. And, and you know, each piece has an amazing mem- memory attached to it. And it might be that because something's split and it's yes. been hilarious or it might be you know when I felt my best or it might be when I got too drunk or it might you know every piece has a memory and that's what I love about it that's why I'm a pack rat and I have two storage units full of my clothes I just yeah I feel very attached to things um so I know what you mean and my lovely um has the Me Too movement, has that made burlesque and the burlesque and the world of stripping more challenging, do you think? Um, or is it just, do you just kind of keep on going and doing your thing? I think because the show that I present and even when I perform, I always have it counterbalanced with um, with just as many men in the show as women and also, you know, my show is always since since the beginning of my touring burlesque show, I've always embraced diversity because I found that some of the best burlesque performers were not what you would think is the typical classic pinup girl burlesque queen from the olden days. I found that the best, most like fun to watch performers were people that were different. So I don't know. I think that maybe... Yeah, listen, I I felt a shift when, uh, you know, when we had we had the crisis, you know, the credit Mm -hmm. crisis or whatever it was. I that was, you know, when people stopped spending lots of money on shows and events and things. So I felt a shift then. But that was like in, you know, maybe I don't know when 2010 or something. I don't know. Um, But I find, you know, because my even when I do an event like now for a big brand or something I'll say listen we should have my male my my guy backup dancers involved because people love to see the balance and they don't want to anyone saying oh it's just a girly show it's not a girly show um you know I I like I like seeing the men represented as well absolutely so uh try to keep that balance and which is what I've always done anyway I just kind of a more more adamant about it like if we do this show we're gonna have these guys too And finally, what about a birthday suit? Not obviously that one when you're a little baby. What's your favorite thing to wear? Well, I have um, this... I have this dress from that's kind of a famous dress in from Jean-Paul Gaultier from the Haute Couture, and it's been part of museum exhibits. And I I wore it for several photo shoots, and I wore it to a few events until he finally gave it to me. Um, and I I pull I have that dress, and I pull that dress out, and it's like really, you know, he gave it to me when I we 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 were in Dallas together, and I was wearing it for maybe like the third time, and we went to this like. This we went to a couple like uh, country roadhouse bars, and we went to one that was like a line dancing club in Dallas. And I was wearing this like dramatic long dress from the Haute Couture, and he was like, "You know what I love is that you're wearing this dress, and we're doing the two step. This dress is for you." So that's one of my favorite things. Is like. It's a long, beautiful hussar-style gown. It's from when he did a collection that was kind of a Russian collection with all the military braiding down the front. It's beautiful, and I, it's my favorite dress that I have. So I pull that out every, you know, couple years and wear it. And 
Uh, feel fantastic. I like that Jean-Paul had, he, he's gifted me a few dresses like that, but the reason is always that I wear it in real life. It's not like going to be just living in archival tissue. It's like, let's pull that dress out and wear it again. Well, I think that's where we love Jean-Paul Gaultier and um, long may he, you know, his designs keep, keep be keeping us all happy. Um, Dieter, thank you so much for your time and I wish you loads of luck for your New Year's Eve show and hopefully you'll come to London and I'll get to see get to see you live. Oh yes, I'll be at the London Palladium in March for five nights. Okay, well I'm definitely going to get some tickets and come and see you. Very good, thank you. All right, thank you so much and have a very happy Christmas. Thank you, you too. Dieter, thank you so much. It was wonderful speaking to you. If you happen to be in or near LA, you can buy tickets for Dieter's New Year's Eve Spectacular by going to dieter.net and find a link to all her other social channels in our episode notes. You can also find us at MyWardMal on our socials or on our website at MyWardMal.com. And of course, subscribe, rate and review us on your chosen podcast platform. God, that's a mouthful. Finally, you can find our sensational house band duo at DuoGuitarMusic.com or at DuoGuitarMusic on their socials. That's it. Thank you so much again to Dieter to duo and of course thanks to you for listening merry christmas and a happy and healthy new year to you all catch up soon until then my wardrobe is officially closed planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.